Welcome to Amped Up with Proud Resistor. This is progressive activist Ryan Knight. And I'm Chris LaVoy from The Stephanie Miller Show. And uh, our guest today is the founder of the Gaia Project for Women's Leadership and the organizer of Lights for Liberty, a worldwide vigil on July 12th to end human detention camps in the United States. Elizabeth McLaughlin, uh, welcome to Amped Up. Thank you so much. It's a thrill to be here. And I have to say, it's not just me. We've got an organizing team of about 15 amazing people, including uh, frontline immigration activists and undocumented folks, as well as the kind of bigger picture national organizing team. So I'm proud to be one of many and not the only one. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I saw that uh, Invisible is, uh, is on board this morning and, and Women's March uh, yesterday. Yeah, it's, this has been an incredible whirlwind, and we're just so grateful for all of the support. You know, I think that um, in the seven days now, it's seven days as of today that uh, we launched the website, uh, we've just been heartened, I think, by how many folks out there have shared our outrage and are willing to really take a strong stand against this administration and these atrocities yep. that are being perpetrated against migrant families. Um so it's it's been an extraordinary run so far, and I just really hope that July 12th is the beginning of, um, you know, some some really serious change in this country about this issue and many others. Absolutely, you know, I um I wrote down some some news stories because since our last episode with Rosie, uh, you know, there's been even more atrocities committed against children. You know, we're finding out new information every day. So I just want to read a couple things here and get your reaction, Elizabeth. Uh, NBC sure. News had a report uh, yesterday. A uh, hundred migrant children were moved out of uh, the Clint, Texas border facility, a facility described as appalling, and they have been moved back into that facility. Uh, ABC News, uh, after being granted access to the Ursula facility in McAllen, Texas, and assessing 39 children, Dr. Lucio Sevier said, the conditions within which these children are being held could be compared to torture facilities. They're enduring extremely cold temperatures, the lights are on 24 hours a day, mm. and the children have no access to medical care, basic sanitation, water, or adequate food. And the Salt Lake Tribune, which is a very nonpartisan, they normally don't take a stance you know, one way or the other, uh, wrote an op-ed that said, our nation is operating concentration camps for refugee children. We need to stop denying that and decide if we are comfortable with that fact and how we will explain it to our children. And, you know, Elizabeth, I said the other day, I mean, Americans have to stop sugarcoating this. Trump and yeah. his regime are committing human rights atrocities against children. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's so hard to read those accounts and hear about them. And I will tell you, um, you know, the way that, that Lights for Liberty began was actually because my friend Toby Gialuca, who now is public, mm -hmm. was on one of the legal teams that had been inside these facilities, including Ursula. And um, I heard from her over the phone, this is now not even two weeks ago, the details of what she had seen inside those facilities that she had been inside. And we cried through mm -hmm. the entire phone call. Um, she was not at that point even allowed to be public, and she was so overwhelmed by the horrors of what she had seen. She said to me that she had seen a baby um, in the facility that she had been in the day before who was so sick that she did not think the baby would survive until morning, and mm. medical care was being denied left, right, and center. Mm. You know, She saw children who were in filthy clothes, children who had not been bathed, child mothers who were looking after their children uh, without getting adequate food and water, 
um, toddlers being denied baby food, just the most uh, appalling human rights violations that you could imagine against children. And what we have learned since then, just in the last 10 days, is so uh, it has confirmed all of that and is also, in some cases, quite a bit worse. Um, you know, we learned just yesterday that a father and a daughter who had been returned to Mexico under the administration's program of delay, where, they, where folks show up at the border and then have to wait for their number to be called, right. had been waiting for more than a month, tried to swim across the river and drowned. Yep. Um, the, the impact of our policies right now from a human rights perspective are, um, are so foul that I find them quite often to be unspeakable. And I say that as someone who, back in the days when I was a lawyer, did human rights litigation. I, w- I was you know, one of the chief lawyers on um, the Comfort Women sex slave case against the nation of Japan, back in the early aughts. And, uh, you know, I was responsible for writing the briefs um, in that case uh, that detailed the torture and experiences of those sex slaves. And I will tell you that the horror that I feel at the details that we have learned and that I myself have learned from people who have been on the ground um, are, are, are comparable, if not worse, to what I had to write about at that time. Mm. Um, it's, it's impossible to minimize um, what, what damage and trauma we are perpetrating on children and on folks right now who are fleeing violence. You know, that's the other thing that we can't forget here is that 60 to 80 percent of the women who are coming north seeking freedom in our country are raped or sexually assaulted on the way. Right. Um, they are carrying their babies on their backs across the desert. Right. Um, many of them with just the clothes on their backs. And they are fighting for the same things that, you know, my great grandmother fought for when she she got on a boat in Poland at the age of 14 by herself and came through Ellis Island to come to this country. Mm-hmm. And that's a better life. It's freedom. It's safety. It's dignity. Yep. And what they are being met with by our government is imprisonment and torture. Yep. Um, and, and from that standpoint, you know, there, I have been an activist my whole life. Um, this, the initial conversation that I had with Toby was one of those moments where uh, there is no choice. Right. Uh, Absolutely. We we made a decision that we had to go public. Um, I wrote a tweet thread on Twitter that has since been shared something like 55,000 times. It's gotten the attention of so many people. And that was really the initial uh, birthplace of what is now this movement that is Lights for Liberty that has grown to more than 175 locations worldwide. It is a it is an issue that um, and this is one of the reasons why our hashtag is don't look away that. Um, it is impossible to turn away from once you have actually seen what our government is doing in our name. Absolutely. Um, I could not, that that, no. that image that, that you just talked about, I mean, when I saw that image yesterday, I just broke down and started crying. I, I mean, they were coming here looking for a better life. And what's in, you know, those are the people that Donald Trump, when he, when he has his rallies and he is scapegoating immigrants and politicizing all of this, he, those are the people that he says are invading our country. They weren't invading right. our country. Right. I mean, they were coming to they were yearning to to breathe free, you know, as it yeah. says on the Statue of Liberty. You know, one thing I, I want to touch on real quick before we, we dive more into, into lights for liberty, Elizabeth, is, you know, when these kind of things happen, I think it's important for us. You know, it's the old cliche, follow the money. Right. Because, yeah. you know, there's reports the U.S. government is paying private businesses seven hundred and seventy five dollars per day to keep children in these subhuman conditions. For that price, we could afford to put these children in hotels and feed them real food. But instead, we're paying $775, and that doesn't even cover soap, toothbrushes, or beds for these children. 
So my question right. is, where is the money going? Now, when you dive into it a little bit, and I, I spent about an hour yesterday researching, the money is going to private businesses who are profiting off the torture right. of these children. And so I'm just going to share a couple here. John Kelly, who we all know is Trump's former chief of staff, sits on the board of Caliburn, which owns the company awarded a $222 million contract to operate one of the cruelest uh, concentration camps, the one homestead, uh, the yeah. notorious child mm -hmm. prison in Florida. That's the one that Elizabeth Warren is at right now, is at this morning. Uh, yeah. A second group is Geo Group uh, that runs immigration uh, detention centers and private prisons, and it expects to earn uh, $2.3 billion this year. Like other private prison companies, it made sizable donations donations to Trump's campaign and inaugural committee. Uh, Geo Group gave two hundred and eighty thousand dollars to a Trump super PAC, and you know this for me is the worst part about fascism because it harms the most vulnerable among us and it enriches the biggest pieces of shit among us. And the Trump administration yeah. is not only torturing these children. It is profiting off the torture of these children. And that just yeah. makes this, I mean, it's beyond comprehension. It's pure evil. Yes. And it's, it, it, is, it, is, um, it is something that happens from the standpoint of the privatization of these facilities, not just to children, but also to adults. You know, one of the, one of the things that hasn't gotten that much coverage, not nearly as much coverage recently, is that there's actually been lawsuits against both of those companies for using, and I'm going to tell you what it really is, but using what, what is quote-unquote called forced labor of migrants in their care. Right. Fundamentally, there is there's something called the, um, the volunteer work program, where allegedly in these private facilities, migrants can work if they want to. Um, in fact, what has happened is that uh, migrant adults who are being housed in these private facilities have been forced to work for profit for these institutions. Um, that, by the way, my friends, is slavery. Yep. These are people who are being held in, in camps, and they are being forced to work for profit for the companies that own them. So, you know, one of the things that I just want to reiterate here, and, you know, you raised this point already, Ryan, but it's worth emphasizing, is that um, those, those folks who write about fascism and authoritarianism, and, you know, one of the fellows who I follow quite, um, quite frequently on this is Umer Haik, who's, you know, one of the most popular writers at Harvard Business Review and a fantastic public intellectual. Mm -hmm. he's, he has written about the fact that the best antidote to fascism is the truth. Yep. And when we fail to call it like it is, when we use the lingo that the right wing wants to use with regard to what, what, what these things are, concentration camps, when we see, um, you know, folks like Liz Cheney push back against AOC for calling it like it is, right. we need to understand that the way in which all of this continues is if we do not bring to light the actual facts of what is happening there and, and say it like it is. Yep. So it is true that what is happening inside some of these for-profit facilities is slavery. Yep. What is happening inside these child detention facilities is not just sexual and physical abuse. They are crimes against humanity under Ab the definition of the United Nations. Absolutely. They meet the qualifications for genocide under the definitions of the United Nations. So it, it's incredibly important that we speak the truth even when our voice shakes, to quote yep. that famous old civil rights saying, yep. and that we continue to do it. Yep. Um, because if we allow the propaganda um, and the way of, of using language to cover this up to continue— that also allows all those who are perpetrating it to escape accountability. Absolutely. You, you, can't, 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was. You, you're nailing it. I mean, that's this is what the Repu- this is what Trump and the Republicans do. They use gaslighting to cover up their atrocities, right? So we're, you know, they're arguing about the semantics of it. Is it a concentration camp or not? Instead of actually doing something about the children who are in these concentration camps, who are literally being brutalized and being tortured, as one doctor said recently. AOC made that exact same point yesterday. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I, I absolutely think that that's true, that we have to call it what it is. And, um, you know, one thing that I want to touch on briefly is, you know, yesterday uh, the House Democrats uh, passed that spending bill, right? Four point five yeah. billion, uh, you know, essentially to continue these concentration camps. And, you know, it's it's like we're in between a rock and a hard place. It's like we need to give them aid and we need to get money in there so they can actually have toothpaste and they can, you know, they can have soap and they can have beds. But at the same time, you know, while while, you know, Pelosi and the House Democrats were were essentially passing a spending bill to keep these camps open. Warren yesterday was was at a, an event and saying that we need to shut them down, that we need to shut yeah. these concentration camps down. And then she went this morning uh, and she was outside a homestead. I, I, I watched briefly before before I came into the studio. And, and, and you know, it's just, you know, she was hu- hugging uh, one of the children, uh, you know, who, who knew someone inside. And she was, you know, up and waving at them and trying to shine a light on these atrocities as best as we can. But I just think it's important for people to know that, like, we are in a tough position because, you know, they did put in a provision uh, in this uh, spending bill where the facilities have to improve their care. But what I was struck with, Elizabeth, well, is they gave them yeah. six months, six months, six months yeah. to, 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 to improve their care. We don't have six months. We have six yeah. days. And so I, I just mean, I, think, you know, and, and, the, and, the, and the Progressive Caucus and the Hispanic Caucus had to talk Pelosi in to putting these provisions to have them improve their standard of care. And so we can kind of earmark is this where this money is being spent? Because right now I look at the faxes, the faxes, they have $775 per child and the child aren't getting soap and they aren't getting blankets. So now we're going to throw more money at these private companies who are profiting off the torture of these children. I mean, it, it, it's a tough thing we're, we're faced with right now. Well, yeah, I feel very strongly about this particular bill because, you know, and, and I'll remind everybody and all your listeners that, you know, while private facilities do make up a big chunk of this, some of these are Customs and Border Patrol facilities and ICE facilities as well, mm-hmm. including, and some are military, like Fort Sill. Um, but, one, right. you know, one of the things that, things that I, I really feel is important to stress about this particular spending bill that went through the House last night um, is that, the thing you don't do when someone is running concentration camps is give them more money to do it. <laughs> thank, um, and, thank you. you know, and, and my view on this is honestly, this is the thing that I think is very dangerous about where, where senior party leadership has fallen on this. Um, there are things that could be done today to stop what is happening inside these camps that have nothing to do with money. Yep. You know, one of the things that, that, um, that is, you know, the Republicans have claimed all along that this is just a funding problem. And if the Democrats would just get on board with the funding, everything would be fine. Uh, you know, I have to reiterate, and I have said this over and over again, you know, for the last several weeks in particular, that what our government is doing is intentional. It is mm. not a matter of, more, of too many people coming over the border. It is not a matter of not having the facilities. They are choosing to not process people. They are choosing to not release children to sponsors 
and people they came across the border with. Right. They have people in those facilities who came here with immigration sponsors. Right. They know the names. They know the phone numbers. They know where their sponsors are located. They are not releasing those people to sponsors. And these, and, and I think we can't stress it enough. These, the, the, the people that we are putting in these concentration camps committed no crimes. It is legal right. to seek asylum in the United States of America. And the scope right. of it, right? The last number we have, there are 53,000 migrants in these concentration camps right now and 13,500 of them are children by our last account. And and, and yeah. so I just you're absolutely right Elizabeth. It's like it, it, it's it's both parties are failing us right now. Obviously one party wants to continue doing this, the Republican party and Trump without any accountability. And yes, Democrats are trying to get it, you know, to have some kind of accountability and put provisions in, in the bill so we can improve the standard of care. But I just feel like it's not enough and we're not doing it quick enough while well, we know children are suffering right now. And let me say one other thing just about this spending bill in particular. Do we trust that they're going to use that $4.5 billion to buy toothbrushes and soap for these kids? No, I don't. I think they're going to build more <laughs> camps. If they get that money, if it gets through the Senate, if Trump signs it, which is a very big question mark. Right. But, you know, my you know, this is the thing they are choosing. They are choosing to perpetrate crimes against humanity. If they are given more money, yep. they are not suddenly going to wake up and become moral, responsible, ethical human beings. Right. They're not suddenly going to wake up and say, oh, we should have given children blankets and beds and yep. not had them on concrete floors in 55 degree rooms. Yep. That's I mean, it, it, what they're after. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Elizabeth. I mean, the solution with the solution to concentration camps in America is not to give more money for more concentration camps in America. The solution is to get rid of them and to shut these yeah. camps down. Um, and well, so and let's, to that, and that's why we have lights for Liberty. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm, and I'm very honored that uh, you guys asked me to be a national sponsor for that. Um, yeah. And uh, why don't we why don't we spend some time now just kind of, you know, telling everyone about Lights for Liberty. Uh, the, the website is lightsforliberty.org. Uh, I know there's almost 200 rallies now or vigils, excuse me, and they're 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 worldwide. Um, they're worldwide. And, and if you go to that website and I, and I stress this a lot on Twitter yesterday, if you go to lightsforliberty.org and you don't see a vigil, a, a vigil in your city, you can start one. And there are, ins- there are clear instructions that the team has laid out on the website for you to go and you can start a vigil. You can look up if you have a detention camp in your state. And if you don't have a detention camp, then you go to y- your Capitol building and-, and we give other suggestions there. But I just want you to, you know, if you don't see a-, a vigil there, start one, you know, grab your family, grab your friends, get everyone. Because on July 12th, we all need to be out there shining a light on these atrocities. Yes. I mean, you know, we had we had a registered event this morning that uh, that made the whole organizing team tear up. You know, mm. we've, we've been really lucky here where, you know, as of this morning, we've added events in Israel and Barcelona. Yesterday, we wow. added events in London at the U.S. Embassy in Paris. Um, wow. I believe it's at the Jardin de Tuileries. Uh, you know, we have events scheduled now in India. We have two events scheduled in Mexico, two events scheduled in Canada. Um, but the one that made us all tear up this morning was there was a, a registered event that came in that said, we as a family are going to stand on our front porch and light candles. Oh, wow. And that, wow. you know, to us was part of the point of this event, that we didn't want to do um, a mass rollout that required everybody to fly to D.C. Um, right. We didn't want to do an event that was a parade down Fifth Avenue. What we wanted to do was something that you could do from anywhere, regardless of where you live, regardless of your ability status, 
regardless of your your citizenship status, um, in a way that allows you to make your voice heard um, anywhere. And the the thing that is so amazing about this is that, um, you know, we knew, uh, you know, Ryan, you have a huge following on Twitter. I have a huge following on social media. We knew that we had a certain degree of reach. Yep. What we didn't realize, um, and, and, you know, this is a sign that I take as a sign of hope for our collective humanity, mm. is the reach of the outrage mm-hmm. about what this administration is doing. And um, we, have, we have heard from people all over the world at this point um, who are wanting to help, wanting to contribute, wanting to make their voices heard, um, have been feeling hopeless and like they didn't know how to express it and are finding a common humanity um, and really a, a, a way to hold vigil and fight back for these families that are being held in detention and to express the fact that we won't stand for this. Um, yep. You know, and I, I, I will just say, you know, we, we certainly don't see this um, as, uh, as a one-off event. You know, we've already had some very serious conversations inside our organization about what's coming next for us because the coalitions that we have built now amongst yep. all of these many organizations are so broad um, and encompass so many millions of people that, um, you know, collective direct action in the future will be on deck and we're going to insist that our government change and hold accountable those who are responsible for these atrocities. Absolutely. Well, and, and as Trump proves time and time again, the, the, the chaos and the corruption and the atrocities are never ending. So we are going to need to continue to organize. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I always say, like, you hit the nail on the head that amidst all this cruelty, amidst all these atrocities and, and, and crimes against humanity, there is still hope. And I keep saying that we need to, rem- America needs to wake up. Like, we need to remember who we are, because although our history has been mired, you know, in, th- in atrocities, that we've be- progressed so far in the last, you know, 50 years. And I just think there's that moment where America has to wake up. This is not who we are. Putting children in concentration camps, you know, it, it, we're so far from normal that, you know, an event like Lights for Liberty, you know, to be able to shine a bright light. Uh, you know, on these atrocities, I think it's going to just open our consciousness and, and bring people together. The other thing I think is important, Elizabeth, is we are a digital society now and, and Twitter and, you know, Facebook, it allows us to connect in some ways, but in other ways it gets us disconnected because we get so comfortable on our phones that we're not out in the street and we need to be out in the street connecting with human beings, right? And I think that yeah. Lights for Liberty gives people an opportunity to, to connect, right? Yeah. I mean, I will tell you that I see social media as a great tool for education and awareness. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is really important about this moment in history is actually um, the recognition that we, we as a nation are this. We have been this before. You know, right. we have separated families on the auction block mm. who we kidnapped from Africa and brought across through the Middle Passage. Yep. Right? We are people who have separated native people from yep. their culture and from their land. And that is an integral part of our history. And part of what allowed this moment in history to rise um, is that we have never accounted for the harm and the trauma and the grief that goes along with those things. This is one of those reasons why, you know, when we look at the current um, 2020 slate, um, I'm, I'm very profoundly invested in the candidates that believe in reparations because we need to have a collective healing about the damage that has been done before so that we don't ever end up here again. 
Absolutely. Um, but I agree with you that social media and, you know, this is one of the things that I've been encouraging the folks who watch Resistance Live, which, as you know, is my sort of viral political and legal broadcast that's been going on for like two and a half years now. Um, I encourage our viewers every day um, to make sure that instead of just moping behind the computer, um, you know, or feeling very downtrodden by what they're seeing out there, that they actually take that that fatigue, that rage, that sadness and put it into action. And we've been giving people action calls every day for two and a half years now. This particular um, aspect, however, of connecting in the street, at the end of your driveway, in front of your local ICE office, at a detention camp, at one of our main events worldwide, is also really a chance to remember that when we come together, um, you know, the power of the people cannot be denied. Absolutely. It's when we're in collective action and we're arm in arm with one another across all identities and with an understanding of our collective history um, and how we all fit into that in some way that we can we can really rise together. You know, we're in a situation in this country right now where the state apparatus of power is being run by a minority. Yep. The vast majority of them are white, cisgendered, straight men. Yep. Um, and, and, they're, and, and it's important to point out that, that they're operating a system that profits off injustice. Right. Yeah. These these mechanisms, you know, these camps, these private prisons, you know, they, they are profiting off of the injustice. And it is our job to fight back against the injustice. Yeah. Yeah. And to understand, you know, the other thing is that the propaganda is so strong, which is, of course, endemic to what we're living in right now. But, you know, Raisa's has put out a stat yesterday that 98 percent of their clients who are all seeking immigration to the United States lawfully as asylum seekers, 98% of their clients who are released on bond mm-hmm. uh, show up for their court hearing. Mm. So that in and of itself says something about our concentration camp system, right? You know, that all this stuff, they're all, you know, Trump coming down the escalator, they're sending us criminals, right? right? They're uh, rapists and drug not, dealers. <laughs> right. 98% of the people who come to this country seeking legal migration, seeking asylum, crossing the border legally and presenting themselves as they have every legal and human right to do when released on bond by the Customs and Border Patrol show up for their hearing. Mm. 98%. That's more, by the way, than the average American citizen who's put out on bond for a crime. Mm. So, you know, again... And we also know that the immigrant communities commit crimes at a much, much lower rate than Americans. Right. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, this is this is part of the issue. You know, I mean, the cruelty is the point. Yep. I know we've all been saying that for quite some time. But, yep. you know, the facts of the the immigration experience in this country, the migrant and refugee experience in this country, belie what we are being told by this administration. Yep. We need, we, you know, immigrants are the fabric of this nation. And, you know, they built this the, nation. Uh, you know, I, I also will say I, I have I always have an issue with that statement because honestly, slave labor built this nation. Well, also, right. Yeah. Yes. Forget, right. That not yeah. everybody was welcomed by the Statue of Liberty. Some right. people were brought here in chains. Um, but, you know, we, we are a nation where immigration is a, is a part of our fabric. You know, right. and I live in California right now and I have a, a family member who is who is somewhat conservative. I wouldn't say he's far right wing, but uh, he came to visit me recently and he looked around my neighborhood and he looked around at. <laughs> the restaurant, uh, the restaurants in our area. And he looked around at, um, you know, the construction trades of which he happens to be a part. And he said, you know, I just never thought before about how much immigration over our southern border matters to the functionality of our country. Right. right? And so some of this is also about remembering that um, our nation falls apart 
if we do not recognize the contribution of immigrants Absolutely. to our daily existence. Um, and, you know, to the, if we do not recognize that, um, that our economy is dependent on it, there's so many, there's so many aspects of yep. immigration right now that impact our nation. And it even extends to climate change. You know, I had a conversation yesterday with someone who said to me, let's not forget that already climate change is creating immigration need. And that as climate change is exacerbated, as global warming increases and we see flooding and we see, you know, other other tragic things that are predicted if we don't move now, basically, to roll back some of what's happened, we will see immigration related migration in huge numbers. Yep. So, you know, we have to we have to remember, and this is really the place that I, I sit at in relation to it from the sort of 30,000 foot view that everything is connected. Oh, you know, yeah. The fabric of humanity is connected. Well, what I, we do, everything's connected, but also that's part of the reason part of the reason this influx is happening is Trump cut aid to some of these Central right. American countries right. that these people right. are coming from. So it's like there's right. no strategic things happening right now. What's happening is cruelty because of mismanagement and you know it, it and, and 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 Trump's continued demonization of immigrants. Remember, not only is he torturing these 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 immigrants and these children, he's using them as political pawns to radicalize his base. And I always tell people it's because he's not helping his base. Those workers who he told when he campaigned, you know, those white blue collar Trump voters that, that the media loves to fawn over. He told them in 2015 and 2016 that the system was rigged against them for the rich and the powerful, and that he was going to go in and fix it. Well, you know what Trump did? He went in and he rigged it even more for the rich and the powerful. And, and that GOP tax scam bill gave his voters nothing. And so what does right. he do? He starts these cultural wars. He starts demonizing and scapegoating immigrants because the truth is a Trump presidency only helps the top 1%. It helps billionaires, corporations. It doesn't help the voters that are voting for him. So he's got to give them something. So in their minds, they think they're winning because of these cultural battles. But what they're doing is they're tarnishing the United States of America because we used to be the country, Elizabeth, when there were countries committing crimes against humanity and crimes against children, the United States of America used to be the country that spoke out against those countries. Now we're the country that's committing the human rights atrocities against children. That's how far down we've fallen. Yeah, I mean, again, we've, you know, I, I always have to say this because if I didn't, I, I, I would feel, uh, I would feel neglectful. But we of privilege need to not, also not forget that we have done it before, right. um, you know. And again, the kind yeah, of like these racist, cycles keep repeating. They, they keep repeating. The racist and genocidal history of the United States has never been accounted for. Right. All that said, you know, Trump's Trump's mechanism for rule is fear. Yep. And what on steroids. Fear and blame of the other. Yep. And that that is how he governs. Yep. Um, he, is, he has managed to gin up um, an extraordinary amount of, of xenophobia and racist hate in this country. It's incredibly dangerous for people even in their day-to-day lives right now, walking around. Yep. And, you know, as I've, as I've said from the very beginning, none of this ends until he's out of power. Absolutely. You know, if he, as long as he is in power, this will continue. And it is the key with regard to the border and what is happening there. If there is nothing else that I can say about this, it is this. It is intentional. They are intentionally yep. harming people. They are doing it because they are brown. They are doing it because they have dehumanized them. And, you know, from my standpoint... And they're doing it for I, money, for profit. And they're doing it for money. That's true. The, the, the companies that are related are doing it for money. To me, from the standpoint of where we sit as a country, this is a, this is a point of choice 
for every American and yep. for every person who cares about what is happening in, in the context of these concentration camps. Absolutely. I, I tell people right now, 2020 is a choice between a vote for Trump is a vote for a fascist autocracy and a vote for hopefully Elizabeth Warren. Uh, whoever, whatever Democrat uh, wins the, the nomination is a vote for democracy. It's really that simple. Do we want to be yeah. a fascist autocracy or do we want to be a democracy? Right. And, and you know, the, the, the related question on that for me is what are you willing to do right now to save lives? Yep. Because we have a long way to go until the 2020 election. Yep. Um, I, uh, I am profoundly concerned at this moment in time about what comes next. Absolutely. Because, well, real quick, who did you endorse? Because uh, I, well, I heard... I endorse Warren. You know that. What I will say is that... Why did you endorse Warren? Well, so, you know, this is really tricky for me because I'm a huge fan of Kamala Harris as well, and she's one of my senators. Um, and Mine too. Um, you know, I've said over and over again that I will take a, a Warren Harris ticket, a Warren Booker ticket, a Warren Castro ticket, or any combination thereof. Yep. I think it's really important that we have a person of color on the ticket in 2020. I agree. Um, I think it's incredibly important that we have a diverse ticket and we have, you know, women on the ticket and all of that. But for Warren, for me, you know, what it really has come down to is that um, – uh, she cares. You know, the compassion factor is really big for me. And she is a law professor, as I was. I taught at Columbia Law School for two years. Mm. Um, I, I see her as someone who not only has a plan, um, but actually can execute on them. And yep. I, I, I look at everything that she is doing. I look at the degree of compassion that she puts out there. You know, Homestead right now, by the way, one of our main vigils is going to be at, at Homestead in Miami. Um, you know, one of Seeing her do what she did last night, where she was asked by someone in the audience to go to Homestead, yep. and her answer was yes, and then on top of it, she paid for buses from Miami to get people down there. Yep. That's what I want my, my best leaders to do. Absolutely. Say, this is something I will not turn away from. Yep. This is something that I will go see, and I will bear witness to, and I will try to change. Absolutely. And, I, not well, only will I, and in our darkest but, hour, which, which we are experiencing, we need a leader who has moral clarity. And time and time again, Elizabeth Bourne, as she's showing today— other candidates I, I was watching, you know, they're on the debate stage right now. They're, they were showing them kind of prepping their mics and doing debate prep. Elizabeth Warren's debate prep is going outside of Homestead today to shine a light on these atrocities that are happening to these children. That's how she's preparing for the debate. That's the kind of moral, moral leadership that our country needs right now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, that this, this is something that we're asking for at Lights for Liberty. We're asking for every presidential candidate to commit to doing some form of direct action against the camps. Yep. Um, you know, Elizabeth Warren is leading the way on that. AOC was there a year ago. You know, yep. she's definitely the forerunner. on. Before something. she ran for office, I believe. It was right before yeah. she ran. She was outside of what she was campaigning. Yep. But, um, but, you know, I think that uh, that from where we are right now, um, you know, we, we need everybody. You know, yep. we need all hands on deck to yep. do what Elizabeth Warren has done today. Well, I mean, this should be the when there are when there are concentration camps in the United States of America, it should be the number one campaign issue. Let's be honest. You know, and the other thing I think we should touch on just just real quick is uh, is what is going on with Speaker Pelosi and her passivity and reluctance to impeach the biggest criminal that we have ever had in the White House. Right, right. What's going on? I mean... <laughs> I, I, I will tell you that, you know, I, my disappointment in that is kind of so profound, it's hard to give words to it. 
Um, you know, because I worked so hard in 2018, I live in Katie Porter's district and I yep. worked to help get Katie elected. Yep. And, you know, we flipped Orange County blue, which nobody thought was possible. Yep. Um, you know, I was a New Yorker for 17 years before this. I've been very invested in Jerry Nadler and everything that he's done historically. Um, you know, Nydia Velasquez was my rep when I lived in Brooklyn. Um, I've had a lot of faith in, you know, profound and powerful Democratic leaders. Um, and, you know, from the standpoint of where we are right now, I just don't understand it. I don't understand how you can be um, not just a senior leader of the Democratic Party, not just the, the newly reinstituted Speaker of the House after the blue wave in 2018, but fundamentally a human being. Right. Look at what is happening in this country and choose to not use the power you have to stop it. That fundamentally Amen. to me is one of the most difficult and challenging things about where we find ourselves with Speaker Pelosi, because... You know, I, um, I, I had hope, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot of us did, you know, in January 1st, you know, or January 3rd, when the new Congress was sworn in, that we were finally going to have real accountability um, through the pushback in the House. And, you know, I think at this point, the strategies that are being applied from the top um, are strategies that worked when our democracy was solid. Yep, right. I agree. When we we were working in an environment where norms were respected yep. and there were certain things that you just didn't do if you were the president of the United States or the Republican Party leadership. Yep. And all those bets are off now. You know, Absolutely. Any, um, Politics as usual and passivity will not stop Donald Trump and they will not right. stop an emboldened authoritarian who's literally dismantling our democracy before our eyes. And, you know, and that's why you hear from authoritarian scholars like Sarah Kidzior and, you know, and even constitutional scholars like Lawrence Tribe now is supporting an impeachment inquiry. Yes. Uh, you know, you have over a thousand uh, former federal prosecutors who say that uh, Trump obstructed justice based on Mueller's report. Uh, you have grassroots activists like myself and, and yourself, you know, who were a big part of the blue wave in 2018 calling for impeachment. You have over 70 percent of the Democratic base uh, in latest polls calling for impeachment. And it just I, I, I sometimes feel like like there's. Pelosi and, and, and some of the, the Democrats in Washington, they're so entrenched in kind of the and in, in, in the D.C. and, you know, the D.C. insiders and the strategists, you know, and they're entrenched in polling. And we're at a moment now where it, it's, leaders don't follow polls. Leaders lead polls and we need leadership. Right. She's not using right. the levers of power. She's not coming out and being bold and making bold statements that would increase the pressure for impeachment. She's actually coming out and, and, and doing the opposite. She's saying, oh, impeachment is, is too divisive. You know, I, I, Trump's too good to be impeached. That was one of the ones that really blew me. You know, like she's coming out while we're ramping up the pressure for impeachment. She's toning it down. Right. And so right. I just think when you look, it's like history. We know how history is going to remember Donald Trump and the Republican Party. History is going to remember them as traitors, right, as complicit right. in the destruction of our democracy. But this is also about the history of the Democratic Party. And I don't right. want our party to be remembered for not being brave enough to impeach the most lawless president in history. When we have a report from Robert Mueller that documents 10 instances of obstruction and is a roadmap right. to impeachment. She's not using that roadmap, and it's just inexcusable. Now, we found out yesterday that Mueller is going to testify publicly. Uh, yeah. So I'm hoping that this will be the moment that after Mueller testifies, you know, unfortunately, there was a poll that blew my mind. Only 3% of the American people have read the Mueller report. So I've always said we need the made-for-TV movie, right? The Mueller <laughs> report on live TV yeah. for the televised hearings because we're in a kind of a reality show America now. And so I think 
people hearing Mueller talk about these tenants instances of obstruction and, and hopefully our Democrats can can ask tough pointed questions to get at. And and so Mueller can kind of bring his report, especially volume two. If you read volume two of the report, it's clear Donald Terrible. Trump is a crook. Yeah. I mean, it's he it's all right there. So I'm hoping that, that, that when he testifies, that that'll be the final piece to start this impeachment inquiry, because Contrary to what Pelosi, there, there's some talk that impeachment would hurt our chances in 2020. I disagree. I think that voters reward courage and moral clarity. I think that's why Warren has risen over 12 points in the last month in the polls, because she was the first to come out strongly for impeachment back in April. Um, and so yeah. I actually think that it's not an either or, I tell people. We need to impeach Trump and vote him out, and we actually have a better chance of voting him out if we have these televised impeachment hearings, because it will be six months, you know, the, the impeachment hearings for Nixon took six months. So by not having them, we're taking away six months of political pressure and, and in educating the American public who's not paying any attention that Trump did commit obstruction of justice. And we need every voter imaginable to know that Trump obstructed justice before they vote for him in 2020. It'll literally well, help us right. vote him out. Right. I, you know, I agree with with all of this. And, you know, the, the only thing that I'm just at this moment um, really concerned about in that regard, I think it's great that Mueller's going to testify. And as you know, like, you know, my legal background um, on this, I, I felt that the moment where the Mueller report dropped was the moment where we should have started impeachment proceedings. Absolutely. Basically, it's the equivalent of an indictment. You know, my concern now is that we've had all these months in between where the White House has shown that it will defy congressional subpoenas and get away with it. Right. And, uh, and Nadler has not acted, save in a few slim cases, um, to enforce his subpoenas in civil court. Um, you know, we have not seen consequences to anyone who has actually defied a subpoena. Correct. And so the thing that's particularly concerning right now is that, you know, even if the, you know, Mueller testifying informs the public about exactly what's happened here. The real question is whether or not, if impeachment proceedings are started, anybody will actually show up. Right. Um, and I, this is one of the reasons why I've been sounding the alarm about the the, the way in which the rule of law has been eroded right. um, over the last few months by the failure to throw people in jail who don't show up to testify. Absolutely. Know, the Congress has that power. Yep. Um, or, to, or to fine them enormous amounts of money for every day that they don't show up, which yep. they also have the power to do. Yep. Um, so... You know, we're in a situation right now where we should start impeachment proceedings, of course, immediately. But my view on at this moment in time, and this was not my view six months ago, is that if we do not have that combined with some form of direct public mass uh, action, we may we still may not be able to get him impeached uh, because the evidence may not be there or Nadler may not enforce or Pelosi may decide it's not it's still too hard, which yep. is unfathomable to me, but so be it. Um, you know, we have to, at this point, assume that no one is coming to save us. You know, for a Absolutely. long time, I had a lot of faith in Robert Mueller. The heroes that we've been waiting for are us. Absolutely. And- I say that all the time. We are the heroes that we've been waiting for. No one is going to save us. And we know that. But, you know, we also have to elect Democrats who are going to be tough. Because part of the reason, look, if Trump is still breaking the law, he's, he's obstructed justice after the Mueller report, you know, telling people in his administration not to show up at Congress, right? right. And that was one of the reasons, uh, one of the articles of impeachment for Nixon, contempt of Congress. I mean, he's actively abusing power. And I always say, if Democrats were stronger and tougher, that's part of the reason Trump is emboldened, because we're yeah. allowing him to be emboldened. So we have got to have Democrats in there who will fight for us. If we keep bringing a butter knife 
you know, to a bazooka fight. We'll we'll vote Trump out in 2020, but the Republicans aren't just going to start playing by the rules all of a sudden. If we keep being passive, this is how these authoritarian bullying Republicans get away with things because we allow them to. And so that's why we need stronger leadership in the Democratic Party. People like Elizabeth Warren, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, that are fighting for us, right? They're not fighting for special interests. They're not fighting for big money donors. They are fighting for us. So yes, we need to be out in the streets. We need to show up at Lights for Liberty uh, on July 12th. But we also have to understand it's, we have to start holding, we can still vote blue and hold our leaders accountable. You know, that's what some people, I get attacked all the time for being an activist and and I've been very critical of Speaker Pelosi and and Jerry Nadler, but no, we can't allow our leadership to be soft. Like our job as citizens, as voters, is to hold our officials accountable. We've been screaming at Trump and the GOP for three years for being complicit and now we have power, the constitutional power to do an impeachment inquiry and we're not using our power to do it. And so we have to, we can still vote blue and hold our leaders accountable so we have leaders that will fight for us because if we don't change the power imbalance, if there's one set of rules for Democrats and there's no rules for Republicans, it'll, it'll be like this all over again. And, and, and yeah. I'll just say, I'll, I'll just also add this is, this is what concerns me about someone like Joe Biden. A few, last month when he made that statement that, you know, when Trump is gone, uh, Republicans are going to have an epiphany and want to work with us. I mean, that was one of the most dangerous statements. How at this moment in history, when the Donald Trump is dismantling our democracy and Mitch McConnell and the GOP are aiding and abetting the dismantling of our democracy, how are you going to say that the GOP are just going to magically have an epiphany? That kind of magical thinking is over. We need someone who's going to fight who's going to stand up and fight for us. Someone like Elizabeth Warren. That is right. Right after Joe said that remark is when I endorsed Elizabeth Warren last month, because I was like, this is bananas. <laughs> like, yeah, this is not what we need right now. I, you know, from the standpoint of American democracy, I think the thing a lot of people forget on a day-to-day basis is that it was always intended to be participatory. Absolutely. It was never intended to be a democracy where you got to sit back and just let people lead. If we elect people and then we don't hold them accountable, we're complicit in the end result. Absolutely. And, you know, from where we are right now, you know, the thing that I just have to keep reminding people is it's not like there was a point in the trajectory of Nazi Germany where, you know, Hitler was given more power and just randomly decided to stop. Right, right. We have to remember that where we are right now is is on a very slippery, very fast-moving slope. Yep. And because Trump, of who he is and his narcissistic personality disorder and the nature of fascism in general— he needs an ever more awful outcome yep. of his daily existence to get his his disorders fed. Absolutely, and, and that and, means that we're driving toward we're driving toward end results that we, I don't even like to think about. Absolutely, if we but at this point in time, take some responsibility for sanctioning him and holding him accountable and removing him from power. Hundred percent, and we have to remember too. I get that everyone's kind of in fear. I, I can sense it from the Democratic electorate. We're all in fear because Trump wants us to be in fear. Because when people are in fear, we're not thinking clearly. But fear is not the answer to to this. The fear won't stop Trump. That's what he uses fear. It's like psychological projection, right? He intimidates the media. He intimidates the, the Democrats. He's now intimidating voters, you know, so we don't speak out against him. We need to have hope. We need to stand up and fight back. That's how we stop Trump. Not by like, oh, we should go back to politics as usual. And, and I'm so scared. And 
the corporate media tells me that Biden is the only one, <clears throat> excuse me, who can beat him. So let's just all vote for Biden. Like that's not the answer. And so I just, yeah. I encourage everyone to just keep fighting, uh, uh, lightsforliberty.org. Please register, go to the website today. Uh, and if there's not a vigil in your city, in your city or your town, uh, you can start one or, or like Elizabeth shared, uh, you can just go out on your porch and, and light a candle with us. Uh, and, uh, you, the hashtag is don't look away. Uh, so make sure, you know, we'll have a lot of time before then, but to upload all your pictures and stuff. Um, and, uh, we're, we're nearing the end here, Elizabeth. So I just want to thank you yeah. so much for coming on the thank podcast. You. Um, will you give people your, uh, Twitter handle and also the Twitter handle, uh, right now for lights for Liberty? Absolutely. My Twitter handle is EC McLaughlin. That's M C L A U G H L I N. And the handle for Lights for Liberty is Lights, the number four, and then Liberty. And that's across all of our social media platforms. And we're, we're grateful for all your support, Ryan. It really means the world. Oh, absolutely. I, I am just honored to be a, a national sponsor, and I, and I will continue to uh, raise awareness for Lights for Liberty a, a, until we uh, hold the vigil. And uh, again, I just want to thank you, Elizabeth, for all your efforts uh, for this and for organizing this and for everyone who is uh, helping shine a light on these atrocities that are being committed uh, against these children uh, by the Trump administration. Thank you. Yeah, let's all fight back together. Absolutely. Okay, Elizabeth, thank you so much. Thank you, too. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of, of Amped Up with Proud Resistor. I just want to remind you that uh, we're going to have a special uh, podcast this Friday, Chris Lavoie and I, uh, to recap the debates. Right. Yep. Looking forward to it. So uh, uh, thanks for tuning in, and, and please uh, go to lightsforliberty.org. Uh, the website is F-O-R, not the number four. Uh, and uh, you can also, uh, if you want to continue the conversation uh, online, please uh, tweet me and use the hashtag AmpedUp. Uh, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you on Friday. Hey, this is Bob Seska, host of The Bob Seska Show. If you enjoyed this episode, you're going to love my show, where every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we talk about this guy. Trump is crazy. And this guy. Trump is a f***ing idiot. And we say this a lot. Sweet, merciful crap. Because. He can't keep getting away with it. Find The Bob Seska Show at sexyliberal.com and on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, bobseska.com, and everywhere else you get your podcasts.